I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 254. Y'all, I love Mayim Bialik. You know, Blossom and Amy Farrah Fowler from Big Bang Theory and Kat from Call Me Cat. Oh, and, you know, host Jeopardy sometimes, too. She's a jack-of-all-trades. Well, and then she's actually... What, like a scientist? Like a, a neurophysicist yeah. science or some shit. I don't know. She's literally brilliant. But on TikTok, she will do like a Yiddish word of the day sometimes. And you know on Laverne and Shirley when they're like, Shlemiel, Shlemazel, Incorporated. I didn't know that was from them, but yeah, I know the thing. Okay. So there's actually meanings of those. And she tells us on her TikTok. And the other day, Tiffany literally texts, so can we call Carrie a schlemiel now? And I was like, damn it, Tiffany, I was going to talk about that on the podcast. <laughs> so we like shut it down so Donna wouldn't know what it was. Okay, this is what it means. So a schlemiel is someone who accidentally knocks things over all the time. Yeah, that's you. And a schlemazel is Donna. It's the person who has things fall on them all the time. I.e. she is the schlemazel to my schlemiel. <laughs> Like the only like when Donna had her first cell phone, the only time it fell was when I dropped it or I called her and it vibrated off the legit, legit. And I was like, man, that's so true. Schlemiel and Schlemazel, Incorporated. I don't know what they say (laughs) after that, but it cracked me up that Tiffany saw it too and was like immediately was like, can we call her this? (laughs) Yes, because truth. Mm Hmm. Well, I have another truth from TikTok. Oh my God. If you listen to this and you hate TikTok, you probably hate us now too. I'm sorry, but I follow T-Pain on there. I love him. Mm -hmm. And he had someone on his like podcast and they were talking about Capri Suns and how hard it was. And it was just cracking me up because he's like, if you don't get it on the first one, you're not going to get it. Yeah. And he said, I end up just doing like the coffee stirs and he'll do it in there. He was like, like, you got to have them because they're amazing. But it's like just such a hassle. And I'm like, God, when you think like celebrities, they're so whatever. And I'm like, yeah. but they're just like us. <laughs> they can't open their Capri Sun. Because it's hard. Why it is, is that hard. so hard? And it's a kid drink too. Yes. So meanwhile, the teacher at lunch has to go through opening all these packets and Capri Suns and all yes. that. Yes, so bad. We weren't allowed to have that. And when I was a kid, because it was sugary and my mom didn't want me to be fat. <laughs> Meanwhile, that's like what I had. Yes. We were raised very different and had the exact same issues with food. <laughs> yeah. So that's a study right there. It really is. But, you know, you're generous with your food now because that's how you were raised in. Well, I'm a honey badger. <laughs> you are. I will cut you in half if you touch my food. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what we're not going to cut. Patreoners. You know, because they're not stealing our food. Oh. Because <laughs> I said the honey badger is still in Okay. Okay, yeah. Great segue. Well, you know what? Sometimes it slaps, sometimes it flops. Well, thank you so much, Kim M. from Montana. Abby R. from California. Molly M. from Ireland. And Karen B. from Texas. <coughs> okay. Well, you know what? Uh, maybe when we go to Austin this summer, you'll get your Texas back. Yeah. Again. I need it back. Probably because y'all should see the boots she already bought for this trip. They don't have the fur, though. They got the pink rhinestones. I know. They're pink and metallic, and I love them. Well, we love y'all in Patreon, so thank y'all so much for joining. And if you want an episode shout-out just like they did, and the weekly episodes extra that they're getting, including bloopers, including uh, a monthly live, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Well, if I could just bring it back to TikTok one more time. But this is serious, and I want to know if you knew about it, because I had no idea. 
So I also follow Crime with Court, and it's K-O-U-R-T. That's her name, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, does true crime. She was talking about a girl from LSU. Her name is Madison Brooks. Have you heard anything about her? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. This just happened recently? Yeah, January 15th. Yes. I had no freaking clue. So if you don't know, she's 19, goes to LSU. She was at this bar called Reggie's in East Baton Rouge, even though I spelled it rogue, but whatever. <laughs> I've only spelled that like, you know, a thousand times in my life, but I was like, whatever. But she was like intoxicated. Like she was seen stumbling. She couldn't really get words out clearly. I mean, it was, she was way overserved. Well, she leaves with four guys, okay? They're like, hey, I'll give you a ride home. She's like, cool. Well, right after they left, they parked. Two people were up front, and then two people were in the back. And that was Kayvon Washington, 18, and then a (gasps) 17-year-old who we don't know his name or anything because he's a minor. They took turns raping Madison in the back seat. Mm. And the other two people... Kaysen and Everett. Kaysen is 18 and Everett's 28. What is a 28-year-old doing hanging out with a 17 and an 18-year-old? Well, he's Kayvon's uncle. Oh. Which kind of reminded me of a story you did where it was like everyone was at this guy's house mm-hmm. and the uncle or the cousin was over there and he's the one who like did all the bad shit. Yes. Well, so when they were finished, they just took her to a side of the road and rolled her out. All right? And she's so intoxicated You know, she doesn't know what's going on. They said that she was basically, she had alcohol poisoning at that point. Like she needed medical attention. But she got herself up enough and she went into the road, stumbling really bad and was hit by a car. And that's why she died. God. Okay. I don't, I didn't know all the story. I just knew that, you know, there was a, an LSU student who had, you know, all the things, but not, not the whole story. I did not. Cause they, I was like. Oh, so they murdered her, and then no, she got hit by a car. Yeah, so they murdered but they her. Did yeah, yes, they did. But they're claiming that it was all uh, consensual and stuff. And I'm like, okay, if it was consensual, why did you leave her on the side of the road? Right, like that makes no sense. But uh, they were all arrested, and Kayvon and the 17 year old they were charged with third degree sexual assault. Kaysen and Everett, they were charged with the principal to third degree sexual assault, I think. I don't know what that all is. But they're all bonded out. So they're out of jail right now. Wow. But Reggie's, that bar that was, Mm -hmm. you know, the last place, the state took away its liquor license right now. Shit. Because she was so overserved and stuff. And so they're like, um, that's like public safety. You know what I mean? Yeah, but also, I mean, which I understand because the bar does have an obligation to not like to not overserve. Mm-hmm. However, you don't know, like, let's look at some video footage. Like, was she the one buying the drink every time? Was, you know, right. cause somebody could have bought it for her and you know, the right. bartender had been none the wiser. I can understand though. Let's take your license away. Let's look into this. Mm-hmm. Let's see. You well, know. And then like a 17 year old was there. True. And stuff like that. So, I mean, it was just a lot, but I'm just like, that girl did not catch a break. But I had no idea. And so when you say TikTok is your news, it really is. Because I had not heard about that before Crime with Court. Well, I know a professor that adjuncts at LSU. And in a message from him the other day, well, yesterday, it said that the driver, like, turned themselves in and they're not being charged with anything. No, because they called the police right when it happened. Yeah. And it was a rideshare driver. Oh, no. 
Well, and even like the um, LSU president said part of their action plan is going to be looking at these establishments, as he said, that profit off of our students by providing alcohol to underage kids, you know? Hell, I didn't even think that. She was 19. Yeah. I didn't even think that. I didn't that. either. I was, I was just like 17 year old. Same, same. <laughs> oh my God. They were all underage besides the 28 year old. Okay, I know we all hate it when everybody tells about their dreams, but the other night I had a dream and it was so realistic to real life because the next day I really did have a doctor's appointment and so I was going to be a little late to work so I could go to the doctor's appointment. Well, in my dream, I was going to have another one of those uh, hydrodistension surgeries on my bladder where they like fill my bladder up with water and stretch it and it's like the best thing since sliced bread. (laughs) Well, in my dream, I was going to have that and I was going to go back to work. In my dream, I was like, wait... They're putting me under anesthesia. I can't go back to work. Like, they're going to, I'm going to be on it. Like, that's illegal. Like, I can't go (laughs) see patients on anesthesia. Like, you're not supposed to drive a car. So I was like, Colby, I can't go back. And then all of a sudden, I was like, wait, it doesn't matter. We're both ghosts. (laughs) And then I straight was like, wait. Of course I'm a ghost that has to work. <laughs> Do you know how I always yes, say that? Yes. <laughs> I was so pissed. I was like, damn it, I'm a ghost and I still got to go to work. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We're both ghosts. <laughs> what? <laughs> Not where I thought you were going with this. Plot twist. We're already dead. And imagine that. You still have bladder issues. <laughs> <laughs> and anxiety. <laughs> yes. And work. I told y'all every time we read a sinister sightings, I'm like, damn it, that's gonna be me. I'm gonna be stuck at work as a ghost. Mm-hmm. And I still was in my dream. <laughs> okay, well, I had something weird happen to me. I was not a ghost, but I had already researched for this episode, okay? I'm like keeping it under wraps what I'm doing, like not telling anyone because you know I love to tell all my business. And last night, me and Creep Mom were playing Faz with Peeps. And so if you like Phasmophobia, get on Discord. Like, join Patreon, get on Discord, because we play all the time. Like, seriously, every single night. But we were playing, and we were just talking about different haunted locations we wanted. And she was like, you know what? I still want them to do an amusement park. And I was like, funny you should say that, because that's what I'm doing this week. A haunted amusement park. I love an amusement park. But, of course, the history is anything but fun and amusing. I'm talking about Lake Shawnee Amusement Park in West Virginia. So it opened in 1926 when Conley Snido, he just had this vision and he brought it to life. He wanted a place for families to relax and spend time together. And also he was like, this is going to make me a lot of fucking money because that place was filled with coal miners. And during the summer, all their families would come and like it just made it a destination if he had this place for them all to have something to do. The amusement park had a man-made lake for swimming and paddle boating, had carnival rides like a Ferris wheel and the swings, concessions, a dance hall, and even cabins for them to stay in. However, about 30 years later, it closed, and it closed really due to tragedy. There were several deaths that occurred in the park. They believe it's six total, but the first one was a little girl died on the swings, So you know how the swings do at the fair? Mm -hmm. They all swing out. It makes me so nervous, but it looks so fun. Well, they're all spinning around, okay? And they're not like equipped like they are now where you're like strapped in. This was like chains and... uh, Wing and a prayer. (laughs) Basically, but like a piece of wood to sit on. Yeah. You know, it's like 
bare minimum, okay? Being swung around so fast. So at the same time, you know, there's a concession stand pretty close to her. Well, there is a truck delivering drinks to that concession stand. All fine and dandy. But then it backed up and it backed up a little too far. And it was in the path of the swings. Oh my God. And so she spun around and hit it head on. How does that even happen? I don't know. So she was killed instantly. Because, I mean, can you imagine the impact that she hit that truck on? And then there was two deaths that happened in the lake. In 1961, Wayne Harmon, he was six years old. He drowned. He was with his family, but no one saw him go under or anything. So they're all just having a great time at the pool or lake, but it was a pool. Until someone was swimming and they were down at the bottom and they brushed against his body. Oh my God, that is your nightmare come true. 100%. And then another death happened in 1966. John Richard Tolley, an 11-year-old boy, he was with his family having a nice afternoon, but he drowned when his arm got stuck in a drain pipe in that man-made lake. See, I just don't understand how things work because I'm like, why was there a drain pipe that was easily accessible to someone swimming? I mean, I guess it's kind of like how, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it was like that urban legend, like you can't go down to the deep end because it would like suck your insides out okay well not what i grew up thinking (laughs) mine was don't sit on the drain of the pool because it'll suck your intestines out not just don't go to the deep end well no i meant i meant like that down there at it i mean we would go down there and touch it all the time you couldn't sit on it because it would suck it out your butthole that's probably what it was, but I, I don't play with that. Yeah, you don't fucks with it going anywhere in the water, really. Mm-mm. Unless it's just kind of walking around getting on a raft Mm-mm. in a clean pool. I do not dive. You know why? Because emotional trauma, emotional damage, whatever the TikTok thing is. Because my cousin pushed me in the fucking pool. And of course me, I'm not one to just go along with anything. So I like fell in, but I didn't go like, woo, because, you know, I'm a little sturdy. Because uh, I was around back then, too. And my inner thigh, like, scraped the cement that was around there. And, like, I kind of, like, just hit the side. Fuck me up. (laughs) It was going to be a cute little prank, and I had to fuck it all up. That terrified me. But I guess back in the day, the drain pipe really was an issue. I mean, it didn't suck the insides out. Okay, wait. (laughs) Wait. Is that what they mean by a drain pipe? Because in my head, it's, like, this big, too. those things that like drip 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 and they're like they're big i was thinking it like was like this big kind of like tube that like went into the side of it oh to like get the excess off but i guess how would his arm have gotten caught yeah, in it no, though? it's down at the bottom so like, a, like a drain yeah okay wow i am a dodo bird <laughs> you know what i'm talking about yeah it's not necessarily always big but it like gets the runoff of like a pond yeah Well, later that same year, 1966, the Lake Shawnee Amusement Park closed. Most say it was because the child's deaths really weighed heavily on Conley Snido, but it's because he lost one of his daughters, Eloise, when she was just three years old. And so he knew like the loss of a child. When Eloise was just three years old, like I said, she had an accident at the elevator at the hotel that they were staying at. So it wasn't on the property. This was just, again, he just knows the heartache of losing a child. She went to get the 
elevator. Like she like dove in kind of like to like, oh, hold on. Because I mean, she's three, like mm-hmm. whatever. And it closed with her in there and then went up to another floor. So <gasps> she like got smushed twice. Oh my God. Yeah. So again, he just knows like. And like a traumatic loss. Yes. Like a freak accident way of losing your child like he was like no 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 like i can't have a part of that anymore well when the amusement park closed a guy who worked there like when he was a little bit younger had made a goal for himself to buy that property and basically 20 years later he was able to do just that his name was gaylord white senior And his family opened the park back up in 1985 and ran it as an amusement park for three years before it closed due to expensive insurance. Funny that you should say that because I was thinking, I wonder how much insurance is for like for an amusement park like that because injuries are going to happen. Yeah, I don't even know. But like, and he wasn't charging a whole lot because this was like his childhood dream to open this back up again. And so he was kind of undercharging. But then had the expensive fees. So even though people were coming and it was a hit again, they just couldn't keep up. And so they were like, yeah, we got to we got to ixnay this. But they were like, you know what? I mean, we still want to do something here. So now they offer history tours and like haunted tours. And they had this event in October. And that is like a charity event. So that was really cool that they do give back to the community. But let's go back a little bit. So when they were restoring the property, Mr. White found a Ferris wheel. He's like, perfect. We want that back. And he found swings. And they were the same swings, like that same kind. Because, I mean, it's been years later. So there's newer swings. But he was like, no, I want like that old charm to it. You know, all the things. So he went and found some, like an old swing. And when he looked, the serial number was the same (gasps) as the original. So it was the original swing set that that girl had died on. Holy shit. But they didn't know that girl had died at the time, you know? So they were just like, what a coincidence. How serendipitous is this? Like, Mm -hmm. it's back home. It's original. Like, this is amazing. Such a good story. But yeah. But they, they weren't finished yet. When they closed the amusement park, they were, again, still wanting to use it for entertainment. And kind of like how our fairgrounds did... Mud bogs. Yes, they wanted to host some mud bogs. And because of the lake, they wanted to host some fishing tournaments. However, when they were getting the property ready to, I don't know, the mud bog arena, they were bulldozing and they found arrowheads, jewelry, clothing, and pottery. So the dad, Gaylord White Sr., he called the universities around there, I think Marshall University, And they did an archaeological dig, and they uncovered the bodies of 13 Native Americans, and most were children. They believe that there are still so many more buried on that land, and that it was actually used as a sacred burial land by the local tribes. But they stopped because they didn't want to desecrate the bodies. But they were saying like over 3,000 people could have been buried there. Golly. But it turns out... Those were not the only graves on this property. So we're going way back to 1770, when Mitchell and Phoebe Clay were among the first English settlers in Mercer County. And I heard that also pronounced Mercer, but I don't know if that was just like someone's accent. It was actually Chris White, Gaylord's son. I think he said Mercer, but you know, like some people just have a different accent. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, listen to you say rural. You know what? You're right. 
But listen to the name that it wasn't Mercer or Mercer County back then. It was called Clover Bottom. I love that. You're not a lover, okay? Well, I mean, it sounds like a stage name. <laughs> Put a little clover on, you know, do your little dancey dance. I love a four-leaf clover. My mom, bless her soul, she really did think those were good luck. We would go around looking for them, and she got so excited. We never had good luck. <laughs> like, that never worked for us. Well, you did, because you found them. I never even found one. Really? Mm-hmm. That was back when, you know, we did outdoorsy things. But I'm saying, though, so maybe you do have luck, because I never found one. Mm, that's true. What about y'all? Have y'all found four-leaf clovers, or are you carry? Well, here's something that we're not alike. Him and his wife had 14 kids. Oh, fuck that. But get this, seven boys and seven girls. Like, how in the cheaper bread the dozen did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) Mitchell was issued this land grant for like 800 acres. And that's how he got a hold of this property. Well, they cleared some of the land and they started a farm there. In 1783, Mitchell was out hunting one day and had told two of his sons, Bartley and Ezekiel, to build a fence around their stacks of grain. So while they were outside building the fence, some of the daughters were down at the river, like the riverbank, doing laundry. Well, Phoebe, the mom, was inside when she heard a shot ring out. Phoebe looked outside and she saw that her children were being attacked by Native Americans. And that was the Shawnee tribe, to be exact. Two of the kids were killed. They had shot Bartley, and Tabitha, the eldest daughter, ran over to try to save her brother because by that time, they were trying to scalp Bartley. Allegedly. I'm just saying, I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. They just did it, like, completely unprovoked. Well, I mean, nothing was unprovoked at that point. The tension was high. But, like, I don't know why they would just go, like, let me attack this child. I don't know. I just think it's, like propaganda against um, Native Americans to continue to instill fear. You know what I mean? Could be. Because I totally get where you're coming from with that. So I don't know. I was going to say, well, I mean, it was written in the newspaper, but that's still propaganda. So who knows? However, Tabitha got in the crosshairs and she was stabbed to death and then scalped as well. The younger girls made it back to the house safely, thanks to Tabitha, because she basically lured them away and the younger kids could go back home, right? However, the tribe kidnapped one of the other sons, Ezekiel, who was, you know, building the fence. When Mitchell returned, he saw some kind of skirmish had happened and taken place on the property, so he ran inside, and he found no one but his two murdered children in their beds. Phoebe had placed them in a bed and ran to a neighbor's house nearby with her surviving children, And that neighbor's house was like six miles away. Good Lord. Mitchell thought his whole family was slaughtered and kidnapped or like something's going wrong. So he too went to the neighbor's house to just try to like, hey, Gaston's going to kill the beast. Like that's basically he was wanting a mob mentality to go find whoever killed his family. Right? Yeah. Well, he got there and he was pleasantly surprised to find Phoebe and the other kids there. But he still wanted revenge, and he got a mob together and hunted down the tribe to Ohio, which is about 150 miles away at that point. The people of the tribe came 150 miles. No, 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 no. They had went, they had like fled because. Okay. Yeah. No, 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 no. They were local. I don't buy it. I don't know. 
so they just randomly came and attacked these people and then uprooted their entire tribe to 150 miles away or just the people who just the people who attacked oh, okay 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 okay. you're okay. making it way like no this was like like a day still dumb but okay yeah i mean i again everything's with a grain of salt because we don't know because it was in the 1700s yeah. so you know but they exacted their revenge on some of the members of the shawnee tribe but they were too late to save ezekiel because he had been burnt at the stake and scalped. So they took him down, returned him back home, and buried him alongside the other two children. Tabitha and Bartley were 17, and Ezekiel was 16. But they're buried on that property, where the Lake Shawnee Amusement Park is. So then when you think about it, that it was a sacred burial plot, and so there's so many Native Americans there. And then the kids, if they were murdered by Native Americans, like, they're there too. I don't know. It's just like, whew. And now, murder isn't right any way you shape it. But I do want to say that, you know, they were the first settlers, and they were seen as the aggressors. Because the Native Americans viewed the land as theirs, because, you know, they had lived there for thousands of years before. But now their land was being taken over by these people and they're building homes, clearing out, you know, forests. But on the other hand, the settlers were fearful of the tribes. And so anytime someone was close to their property, they would shoot on sight. The tensions were so high because they both were so fearful of each other. It was just like you said, you don't think that they would have killed these kids or whatever, but I I don't know. But if it's how they could get to the family to, you know, I I don't know. Because we don't know if Mitchell had killed one of their kids who was walking around. I I don't know. Yeah, not saying it couldn't happen, but it just seems just to match a little too good the stereotypical propagandized Native American image. Right. So all that to say that, you know, before the deaths at the amusement park, that land was stained with blood. And a lot of people believe it was cursed, basically, because it was a sacred burial site and then stolen from them. And then all that tragedy that followed, it's kind of like that negative energy that's there wants nothing to be built there, let alone a commercial amusement park. Chris, I mentioned before, he's Gaylord Sr.'s son. And he said he really hasn't experienced anything too scary there. Like, they still own it. But he said he has felt like he wasn't alone and some pressure on his shoulder or his head at different times. And he specifically noticed the pressure when he's operating the tractor by the Mitchell Clay family burial site. And Jewel, his mom, lives on the property. She's the only one who lives on it right now. And she has seen a Native American who she said was, quote, an Indian warrior because he didn't have a shirt on and he had like a tool in his hand. She also said things go missing only to turn up somewhere that she knew she didn't leave it. But she doesn't feel threatened by this. But Chris is like, she lives out here in the middle of nowhere by herself. Like, I'm scared. Even though no one died on the Ferris wheel, there's still activity there. Chris says that people have reported seeing a full body apparition in bucket 10, which cracks me up. Not that they see someone who's dead, but it cracks me up that they really do call it a bucket because on Never Been Kissed, he's like, lonely ride in bucket five. (laughs) She's like, oh my God, do you have to say it so loud? And that's when her teacher that they should not have been flirting, but I'm like, get it, get it. He goes and sits with her. Yeah. Movies like that are why we have so many issues. Right? 
because that is fucked up. It is. Like when I said that, I was like, oh, shit. But really, she was like a 27-year-old person, but he didn't know that. Right. He thought she was a child. But if you watch Never Been Kissed, let me know if you like it, because I love it. Also, a song I have in my head right now that I can't stop singing is the Demi Lovato 29. Oh, yeah. That's a good one, too. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. And that's about her and Wilder Valderrama, mm-hmm. allegedly. I think it's like came out that that's really oh, yeah, for, no, sure that's for okay, sure. But like, you know, covering our bases, allegedly. But like where she's like, she was 17, he was 29. It was a teenage dream. But like, was it hers or his? Yeah. I love that part. Mm-hmm. Was it yours or was it mine? Ugh. Well, people have seen that little girl on the swing that she died on. She's wearing a pink dress with ruffles. There's also been reports of children laughing, but no one's around. And I am not here for that. Like, children's laugh, great. Like, love to hear a baby laugh, but not when there's not a baby there. Yeah. Like, no thank you. No thank you. So nothing really bad has happened there, but some people have been pushed or, like, felt a heaviness on their chest at times. There's been a seven-foot shadow figure that's been seen, and they say he's in, like, a tall cloak. Now, this place has been featured on tons of different shows. Ghost Lab, Portals to Hell, Dead Files, Most Terrifying Places, like the list goes on. But I'm going to talk about Dead Files first, because when Amy was doing her walkthrough, she said that she saw someone watching them, and it looked to be eight feet tall and in a robe. So that pretty much matches up with the shadow figure that people have seen before. And if you don't know Dead Files, Amy is like a medium, and Steve is a retired police officer, I believe. So he goes and researches about the whole thing. Amy walks through, but she's unaware of what's going on. So they take down pictures, like family pictures and all the things. I mean, obviously they couldn't take down a Ferris wheel and all, you know, all of that. But she doesn't know what the issues are or anything like that. It's a really good show. Amy then said she felt Native American energy on the walkthrough and that they did not want anyone on this land. She also picked up on a young boy and she said he was around eight or nine years old and he feels like he's a guard. He watches everyone and people probably mistake him for a shadow person because he presents himself cloaked in darkness, all black. She said he feels like that presents stronger than just like a human, like they'd be more scared. And again, he's trying to be the protector of this property. So on the Dead Files, they talked to a historian and her name was Pat. She said that she actually went to the amusement park as a kid. And so she was telling them all about like the history. Well, telling Steve all about it. But she's like, and I experienced something. She said that she again was in that damn swimming pool and she was playing normally. And then she felt like a hand grab her foot and pull her under. She said that she went down and it was kind of like in a hole and her dad luckily saw her go down and he couldn't get her and he ended up just like pulling her up by the hair, like her hair. I mean, go dad, like ouch. Yeah. That's, that my, was because ouch, but also go Can dad. You imagine, right? Yes. So, I mean, she survived, but then later when she heard those boys drowned, she's like, did something grab them too? No, oh, uh-uh. While Steve was investigating the property, he found that a brutal murder took place basically on the road outside of the property. And that was in 1935. And it was a crime of passion. James Craft Belcher, he was 25. He was seen Myrtle Taylor. Even though she sounds 42, she was 19. (laughs) What year? 1935. Oh, well, that's why. I know. 
he was actually married, but he was uh, not divorced, but estranged from mm-hmm. his wife because, you know, he wasn't a no good anything. Yeah. Okay. Air quotes. I'm separated on his Tinder profile. Yes. No, you're not. Right. And just like that. So he wasn't separated. You know, like he's separated, but like you're still married. But May 11th, 1935, James found Myrtle eating dinner with another man. Mm, how'd that go over? And he didn't like it. I'm like, you're having your cake and eating it too, so she can have dinner. Well, she didn't want to go with him. You know, she's like, no, I'm staying here. He forced her into his car. When they got on that road right by the property, he got out, she got out, and that's when James shot Myrtle in the head twice. Where was her date that was just like, all right, you can go? I don't know. And who knows, like, if James had a bad rep and so they're like, Oh, don't want to die. I, I mean, right, I, I yeah. have no idea. You're you're so right. Well, Amy picked up on a woman being hurt in the back of the head. And she was like, this was a horrible amount of pain. And Amy picked up that she knew her attacker, that she had been forced there. So basically kidnapped and murdered by someone that she knew. And what Amy said, she was like, all I can feel is blind rage all through her body. Thing is, James's grandparents owned that property, that the amusement park, that whole property. And he grew up on that land in the very early 1900s. Wow. So right before Snyder bought the property to turn it into the amusement park, that was in his family. But another thing I found interesting, and I have no idea if there actually is a correlation here, but I think so. But do you remember Phoebe Clay, the mom of the murdered kids? Mm-hmm. Uh, her maiden name was Belcher which is the same as James's. And then like his grandparents own the property. So I don't know if it's like down the line. I don't know how a family tree works, but you know what I mean? Like a few branches down. I wonder if they're related. Amy said there was at least 12 conscious entities on that property. Conscious is another word I have really hard time with. But she said not all of those were bad. But regarding the Native American spirits, she believed that they did not like anyone being on that land and that their energy could cause illness to humans living there. She said that when she was on her walk, she felt like someone had a heart attack and she believed that it could have been caused by the negative energy of the land, basically. Well, turns out, Jewel's son, Gaylord White Jr., had like over 20 minor heart attacks. Damn. Before he suffered a massive one and killed him when he was 51. That's so young. Yeah, and he had lived on the property at that time. During Ghost Lab's episode, they called it the theme park of death. Dun, dun, dun. Now, they were the only ones who I saw do anything to really provoke the ghost. They, quote, brought the carnival back. So they had like some rides there and music going, like the carnival music going and stuff. Exactly that. And it was to agitate the spirits to see if they can get some activity going. And they even said like, this is sacred land, but let's do it. You know what I mean? It's just like, wow. Okay. But they captured some EVPs and it sounded like a Native American chant. And they also saw a dark figure while they were outside and captured it on camera. But also, how I think this happened, Ghost Lab, they were there before the dead files. And I only say that because I didn't look at the dates, you know, numbers. But Gaylord Jr. was on Ghost Lab and he had died by 
the time Dead Files got there, you know? But on the Dead Files, Amy really talked to Chris and his mom, Jewel, about being respectful. Because she honestly doesn't usually like ghost tours. But she's like, no, I like that y'all do the history and, you know, all the things here. That's fine. But they have to be respectful to the Native Americans. They have to be respectful to the land. If they come, they should bring an offering. Because if not, you could be cursed. So I feel like they didn't allow that kind of stuff anymore because I've watched Portals to Hell too and they didn't do anything like that. They're not really provokers anyway. I was going to say, I don't see them doing that anyway. And they did bring an offering. So I think like they didn't know what Ghost Labs was going to do anyway, but they didn't know that and to be like, no, we need to be more respectful and, you know, all the things. So, and then also when you have this like show coming in, you know, and especially if they're not there the whole time with them, yeah, they don't have any clue what they're going to do. And I don't know if those shows pay them to be on it, but if they do, it's like probably in their contract, like they're going to do what they're going to do while they're here. Right. Well, like I mentioned, I saved the best for last. Portals to hell. Your boyfriend. I know. He's so cute. Every time we talk about him, I think about that one episode of the Aussie show where they got so excited the McRib was back. Do it. The McRib is back. I say it every time when I go to McDonald's. McDonald's got me on that, though, because they said, like, the McRib farewell tour. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I got to get it before it, like, leaves and never comes back. And that farewell tour was, like, a fucking year. I'm like, damn it. (laughs) They got me. Annie Weeble, I think is how you say her name, said in 2016, her and her paranormal group camped there for the night. She was telling us to Jack. She said that during the day, it doesn't seem real spooky. You know, it is kind of dreary because Chris says that they let the land do what it wants. So they didn't move the swings. They didn't move the Ferris wheel, but it's all like abandoned looking. And so like some of the earth has like grown over it and stuff, but they're like, whatever the land wants to do, that's what we let it happen. So it is still spooky in the like, it's abandoned amusement park. But it's not spooky like, I'm going to die. Until the sun goes down. And then the chill bumps come up. She said it feels like there's eyes watching you from all directions. And the group was in the field. And out of nowhere, really, this man appeared to be walking toward them down the road. So this mysterious man seemed to like duck behind some of the trees that were in front of them. So the group kept walking toward him, trying to figure out what was going on. Because they're like, we're the only ones out here. Like, who is this? And they basically thought they had this guy cornered. It's because they split up. So they were on both sides of the tree, you know. And so they're like coming in like, ha, 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 we got you. But there is no one there. So that man seemed to vanish into thin air. One of the park employees, Todd Shea, he was changing a light on the swings. And his girlfriend was with him. And he thought he saw a family near the swings. A man, a woman, and a little girl. Well, one of the swings started moving, and Todd just kind of stated out loud, he was like, I bet those people pushed the swing. And his girlfriend was like, what people? And they couldn't find anyone, but Todd was like, no, no, no. It was a man, a woman, and a little girl. I saw them there, but vanished into thin air. So on Portals to Hell, they had a psychic medium, Michelle, and she's the one who will walk around blindfolded. At the burial ground area, she said that she got the image of skin that is, quote, warm, brown, and not white. She said definitely felt Native American. She said that it felt like a lot of stuff was still buried there. She saw stone and earthworks and even bones, which 
Hello, that's what they found. So she pinpointed that it was a burial ground. And I love Jack's reaction because he can't say anything and she's blindfolded. So he just like looks at the camera and is like, yeah, she's that good. Like kind of mouthing it like, did you just hear what I heard? Michelle went on to say that she felt like it wasn't necessarily negative, but she sensed like a quiet resentment. Mm. Uh, And she said that she felt like she needed to make an offering. Well, before that meeting, a historian said that people should leave offerings because, again, how Amy said, there could be consequences if they don't. So, again, Michelle just hit the nail on the head. They also went to the swings, and she said she felt different in that area. She said that she could sense that there was a skirmish and people fighting for their lives, yelling and screaming, and that's where the children were murdered. She also said that there was an accident that did not have anything to do with Native Americans, and she was getting a sense of a head injury, which is that little girl who was on the swings. She also saw a figure watching her in the distance along the tree line, and she said it was human form, but it was shadowed. So again, everything was going along with what people have said. Except didn't in that other show, they say that it wasn't a shadow person, it was something pretended to be? Michelle said human form, but shadowed. So she's not saying, oh, that's a real person. Like, it's the same thing. Okay. Ma'am. I'm just saying it was different, I thought. I just used different words, okay? During their investigation, they started at the swings, and the REM pod was immediately going off. And it was, like, malfunctioning. So they reset it, and they had to reset it multiple times. And Jack was like, uh, that shouldn't happen. And when it did act right, it was reactive to them. You know, it was intelligently playing with them. Now, they had a balloon pop. like So they had a balloon, and they were like, play with us. And it popped kind of like midair. And they were like, it's a little girl playing with us, because how did it pop like that? But it's a balloon outside. So that one, I'm just like, I mean, I would have been like, two. But... Sada. Yeah, I mean, Carrie can pop a balloon easily, just like with her finger on it. She's going to have static. You're not wrong. (laughs) Well, later on during the investigation, one of the camera operators was doing like a sweeping shot and they caught a figure in the light of an oncoming car with that road being right there. So it's like panning around and then it goes back because they see it and it's gone, completely gone. And there's no way that it could have just been completely gone. Like they literally had panned There was a figure of someone walking, went right back to it. It's gone. And there was no one there. Like everyone was accounted for right beside them. When they were at the burial site, they were asking questions and coyotes started howling like really loud. And so they were just like, it's kind of odd because they weren't making noise until they were like, do you want us to leave? Do you want anyone on this property? You know, and then the coyotes were, you know, making so much noise. But again, they're wild animals. So, you know, there's that. But Jack was like, was it a coincidence? Or was it like the Native American spirits like being like, no, yeah, we want you to leave. Also, if you want to listen to a good podcast about Lake Shawnee Amusement Park, I highly suggest Southern Gothic. It's hosted by our friend and podcast zaddy, Brandon Schecksnyder. He goes a bit more into the history side of it, of the land and everything. So if you're interested in that, definitely check him out. But also, I loved Portals to Hell and I love the Dead Files. So those episodes were really good. And you know, Brand has that perfect podcast voice. He really does. I just still don't buy the Native American thing. I'm so hung up on that. 
I just feel like if the Native Americans are, hey, don't trespass here, like get off our land, leave us an offering, it's because they're due something because these people made it seem like they just came and killed these kids and and then that is their sacred land. So I'm not saying that the Native Americans in this story, the Shawnee tribe, were, quote, savages, how people in history have called them. But they were put into a bad situation, and it doesn't mean that the whole tribe is bad because of this one thing. And maybe I'm just like blanketly being like, they wouldn't do that because that's not who they are as a people. Right. But obviously there's individuals. That's what I'm, I guess I'm trying to say is just because a group of people did, did something bad doesn't mean that that's what the whole tribe wanted. That's what yeah. any of that. But I think that they do want an offering and everything because that is their land. I don't think it was necessarily like you lied about us and all the things like they didn't use that land. Like, so when he was granted that land, they didn't use it as like active hunting or anything because it was sacred, you know? And so then to have someone come and build their shit on it and all the things. So I think that might've been some of the emotions there too. I wonder what makes like certain land sacred for them. I am not sure. Okay, well, remember how Donna talked about Discord earlier and that if you're on Patreon, you can be a part of the Discord server chat? Well, on said chat, we have a channel for story suggestions, too. And so I got this from Lisa in that story suggestion. And she said that her boyfriend went to school with some of the people in this story. This story takes place in Muskegon, Michigan. So the dad, Stephen, taught fifth grade. And from what I understand, this is a pretty small area. So everybody knew everybody, and especially because he was a teacher. Linda was mom, and she worked as a receptionist at this medical office. And then there were two sons, Jedediah, who was 19, and then Seth, who was 18. So Seth and his dad didn't really get along super well. I mean, he was a decent kid. Like, he had bees in school, and he had a couple little run-ins with the law. But for the most part, Seth seemed to be, like, a pretty good kid. But him and his dad bickered a lot. And Seth would get super mad because he felt like his brother, Jed, which is what he went by, and his mom would side with his dad, and nobody supported him in the arguments. But, I mean, he had gotten in trouble a couple of times. Once was for shoplifting some beer, and then once was he stole a CD. Was it Savage Garden? I don't know what it was, but that's (laughs) funny. So at one point after Seth had gotten in trouble for the stealing, he actually had to spend 10 days in a county youth home. And part of his punishment or rehabilitation, really, is that he had to have counseling. And he was put on some antidepressants and that sort of thing. So on November 29th of 1998, the family was getting together with their grandpa, John, who was um, 78. He was coming over, and so was Jed's girlfriend, April Boss, and they were going to have a late Thanksgiving. It was like the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Now, I did hear April's name as Amber one time, but I'm pretty sure it's April. So before Stephen left to go get Grandpa John, Seth and Stephen get in an argument. And Seth feels like, again, nobody's standing up for him. And Stephen basically was like, if you can't handle this, you need to move out. Wait, how old was he? 18. Okay. And, and I think from what I understand, he was still a senior in high school. His brother was just a year older than him and he had graduated, but I don't think Seth had. But again, Seth was kind of getting into trouble. 
He was drinking a little bit, but what 18-year-old isn't? But the argument ended, and Stephen went to go pick up Grandpa John, and Linda went up to shower. Well, Seth had enough of it. He was angry at the fight. He was angry because no one stood up for him, and he had had enough. So Seth goes and gets his dad's 22 caliber gun. He goes downstairs, and while his brother Jed is watching TV, he shoots him in the back of the head. What the fuck? Yeah. And just a little bit of time goes by. Some stuff said that his brother was like on the couch watching TV and he dragged him to the basement so nobody would see his body because a little bit of time did go by like 20 minutes or so from the time that he killed Jed until Stephen, the dad, and John, the grandpa, came home. Allegedly, Seth didn't know that his grandfather was coming, so I don't know where the fuck he thought his dad was going, because why would he leave if they're about to have this dinner? Like, where would he be going? Well, he could have thought he, like, had to go ride to, like, cool off if he was still mad. That's true, but if y'all are having, like, this planned late Thanksgiving, like, why would your grandpa not be coming? Family's weird. Yeah, but, I mean, they they were a close-knit family, though. Like, that is not, like... Like, my grandma or grandpa would be coming to that. You know what I mean? So, as soon as the two of them go from the car to the garage, Seth shoots them both. But he has to shoot his grandfather two times because he didn't die from the first bullet. Oh, my gosh. From there, he goes upstairs where his mom was getting out of the shower, and he kills his mom. Shoots her in the back of the head. Gosh. Okay, this is probably weird of me, but I'm like, was she like in a towel? Was she dressed yet? I don't know how big this house is that she wouldn't have heard like three gunshots. I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's possible to be in the shower and like jamming out to music or something and not hear. I was about to say like sometimes that happens to me. I mean, not the gunshots. That's what I was trying to think. Like, I don't know how loud that would be in a house, you know. I would think that the ones in the garage would be really loud. Yeah. And I don't know how, like, what the neighborhood is set up like that a neighbor wouldn't have heard the shots, too. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, one time, Tiffany knows my code because I I lock my doors. I got so freaked out because she was coming, but she lives kind of far away. So you never know when it's going to happen, you know? And I was in the shower, very vulnerable. And she came in and I, like, I don't even know if I peed or not, but, like, it, (laughs) it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. There is something so vulnerable about being naked in the shower. Yes. But yeah, you want to scare me? Come in while I'm in the shower. Yes. I mean, yes, that's weird of you to think about, like, if she was dressed or not. But I thought the same thing because I pictured her, like, still being wet, but, like, with the towel around her. Yes, I'm, like, picturing, like, like, drying her back off. Yeah. Now, all this is happening in less than an hour. Now, remember how I said that April, Jed's girlfriend, was supposed to be coming over. Now, they were very close. Like, they were young, but they had intentions of getting married. She was very much a part of the family. Like, just like how I go to your house and I just let myself in, she was the same way. So, April comes in and she thinks that they're playing a prank on her because she sees the dad and the grandpa in the garage and she thinks that they're playing a prank. She doesn't think it's real. Oh my gosh, bless it. So she comes in, and I guess for some reason, Seth just, he didn't know she was going to be there, so he was kind of surprised. But when she came in the kitchen, 
he shot her in the back of the head. I can't believe he had the gun close to him still since everyone was dead. Well, and I don't know if he was like talking to her. Like, I don't know at what point she got there versus when he killed her. Oh, God, that's gut-wrenching to think about. Like, if he's talking to her like normal, like, oh, yeah, huh, you like the prank and then killed her. Well, you know, the only solace I guess you can get in that is that he shot her in the back of the head. Maybe she never saw it coming. Uh, I feel like he did that to everyone. Yeah. So from there, Seth calls his friend Stephen Wallace. Later, we find out that a few days before this all went down, Seth had actually told his friend Stephen, Stephen Wallace, not the dad, that he was wanting to kill his dad. Wow. Basically, he said that his dad... You know, they got into arguments all the time and that his dad had told him he didn't love him anymore, which I don't believe because they see, I mean, there was nothing to, I mean, of course, you never know what goes on behind closed doors. They seemed like a happy family. He's a teacher for God's sakes. Like, I mean, I know that there can be bad apples, but like this man loves kids. It's his job. Carrie. What? (laughs) This man loves kids. That's his job. We have done so many stories where a teacher has killed someone, assaulted someone. Yes, but like there's no You issues. are lumping people together on this episode. But look, there's no there's literally no indications that would show like Jed had no issues with his dad, like you know, no friends had come out to say like yeah, their dad was actually kind of mean to them. You know, people would come out and be like, ooh. I mean, I'm not saying he was or he wasn't. I'm just saying how you were like, <laughs> he's a teacher. He loves kids. Well, obviously, there can be bad apples in every situation. But also, some people do feel more targeted than others. And that could have been all on him, like him mm-hmm. perceiving that. But there could have been some truth in there. Yeah, well, I mean, he was getting into trouble and stuff, so I'm sure his dad was hard on him because he got arrested twice. Yeah. And, dude, you were 17 when you got arrested, but you're 18 now. That shit's going to stick. Yes. So get your shit together. Oh, 100%. Like, I'm not saying he's justified in this. I'm just saying how you were being like, no one ever said anything bad about the family. (laughs) Okay. Don't speak ill of the dead. (laughs) (laughs) God, Carrie would be that person... I didn't think he could hurt a fly. Whatever. You know I am like sketch of people. So weird this time. Yeah, you know, sometimes I got to put on a different hat. Trick y'all. So Seth calls his friend Steven and tells him, hey, I killed my family and you got to come help me clean it up. The fuck I do? What the fuck? And I understand, like, his friend Steven not really taking him serious that he wanted to kill his dad. or Because, mm-hmm. I mean, people say shit all the time. You know, especially if you're very dramatic and that's just something you say a mm-hmm. lot. Because if they did have that kind of relationship or Seth did perceive that, he could have said that multiple freaking times. Right. Did Steven Wallace go over there? Sure did. Wow. Just know, if you say, hey, that thing I was talking about... Like two days ago, you know, killing my dad. Well, I killed everyone. I I wouldn't be like, you know what? I'm going to come over because you're not there right then. So there's no like clear and present danger of you killing me right then before I can get to the cops. For real. Like he just told you he killed his family. Like, why are you going to go over there when he's got a fucking weapon? Right. And well, I mean, he didn't know this, but and he shot him all in the back of the head. So it's like, you're not going to see it coming. Like, you can't trust him. So together, the two start cleaning. They wrap the grandpa, 
the dad and April in sheets and drag them outside to this workshop area. They do some like mopping, some cleaning up, because those were the ones that were kind of out in the open, like in the garage or in the kitchen. And whereas the Jed was in the basement, the mom was upstairs, haven't had the shower. They do that basically for hours. I can't imagine that not taking a long time. Seth takes the spent shell casings and he goes to a gas station, dumps those in the trash can. And then Stephen takes the gun with him and ditches it in a pond. But then after Stephen gets rid of the gun for him, he's like, oh, let me take this movie back to Blockbuster. Let me go to this church event. And then let me go to my girlfriend's house. What? Like nothing fucking happened. Well, late peas are a bitch at Blockbuster. I know, but you know what? But how do you do that? How does someone do that? I I can't imagine. That's all I can say is I can't imagine. So after Stephen left to do all of that, Seth continues to clean up all the blood. He's mopping, he's using rags, and he had garbage bags that he had gone and bought as well that he was like putting them all in. But eventually, later that night, I guess Seth was like, I need you back, man. I need more help. So Seth actually goes and picks Stephen up at Stephen's girlfriend's house to bring him back over to help some more. No. So they were going to try to move the bodies into the vehicle, I guess, to move them and dump them. And they tried to drag his dad out, but his dad was too heavy for them, which I'm kind of judging a little. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. Like, damn, it's like these two healthy humans and you can't pick up a 200 pound body. I don't know how much that I was going to say, how, how much did he weigh? Dead weight is hard. I'm not going to say because they were teenage boys, they should be able to do it. But you and I would be able to put that body in that trunk. Well, but we would still struggle. Yeah, but they had to give up. Oh, well, we wouldn't have gave up. Right. We have gumption. Yes. We have tenacity. Is that the word for it? Unsure. We have... I don't know, but I got tennis elbow. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would after picking up that, <laughs> that damn body. So the two with olive oil arms continue this process of cleaning up. So at this point, they were like, okay, okay, okay. Change of plans. Leave the bodies where they are. And we're going to act like this is a robbery. Oh, my God. After they cleaned up and everything. Right. Oh, my God. Right. They were going to like duct tape them up and... They put, um, like, they took the TV, the VCR, the stereo. They were going to put those in the car to, like, make it look like they had been robbed. The problem was, now, it's just before midnight. And April's parents were like, where the fuck is April? Oh, shit. And then she was supposed to go to work that night. She worked the third shift. and She was supposed to go, and she didn't show up. So her parents go over to the house. No, 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 no. So as Seth and Steven are like trying to get all this set up, like put the, with the dad outside and like, so the dad's like in the driveway trying to make this look like a, oh my God, trying to make this look like a robbery. They see a car pull up. Oh my gosh. So they're like, fuck. And they run, they like run into the house, run out the sliding door and go into the woods. (laughs) This isn't funny, but it's funny. Fucking dumbasses. April's poor parents, it's her mom and her stepdad, they get there and they see the dad laying in the driveway and they're like, holy fuck. So they dash inside to get a phone because it's 1998. Who the fuck has a phone? So they dash in to get a cordless phone. According to you, a lot of people had cell phones. What do you mean? Because I didn't know that cell phones were big and you were like, 
Yes, they. Uh, well, like I mean, car phones and shit back then, yeah. But they didn't have one, so I, they had to go well, and you get said, a Because it's 1998. Like, but then when I said it earlier, you're like, like everyone had one. Did not say everyone, ma'am. Okay. We did because my dad's job paid for it at the time. But anyway, so they run inside and call the police. The police get there and they're like, what the hell is going on? You know, they're finding all these bodies. And of course, we're Seth. But as they're there, they see someone walking out of the woods. Oh my gosh. And it's Steven. And he's like, word vomit. This is everything that happened. I didn't kill these people. Yeah. But they arrest him. Of course. So at this point, Stephen Wallace is arrested and Seth is nowhere to be found. He's kind of running all around the woods trying to see if he can find Stephen, but also he's seeing the police cars at his house. So he's still like bobbing and weaving his way through the woods. Stephen finally had common sense and was like, oh, let me not run anymore. Well, maybe he was trying to run back home. I don't know. So Seth could hear what he assumed were search dogs. I don't actually never saw anywhere to say whether that's true or not. But he said he could see lights and he figured that was them searching for him. So he did all this running to try to get away from these search dogs. And once he realized like, okay, I think I got away from them. He just like went and slept under a pine tree for a few hours. Oh my gosh. And then when he woke up, it was the next morning. Well, by this news had broken. Like everybody knew it was a teacher. Don't give me that face. But it was, a, it was a small town. It was a teacher. And their whole family was murdered. And Headline, he loved kids. I hate you so much right now. <laughs> I don't, y'all. When I say that, it's because I love her, but I, <laughs> she's on my damn nerves. But And then, you know, Jed and April had both just graduated. And then Seth was a senior. So it's like, you know that shit spread like wildfire over that school. Yeah. So there was a girl who was driving down the road. This was like 7.15 in the morning. Now, some things I saw said that she just saw somebody walking and she stopped, like somebody hitchhiking, she stopped. Another thing was like, she saw Seth, so she stopped. But I'm like, girl, you knew, if you knew that was Seth, well, first of all, why are you picking up a hitchhiker? Because she was like a senior in high school too. Why are you picking up a hitchhiker? But also, you either didn't know who it was, it was some hooded person that you can't see anything, or you knew it was somebody who just killed their whole family. Or maybe she just didn't know. No, she did know. Oh, she did. Yes, she knew. Yes, 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 yes. Because I'm like, even though something will be like everywhere, sometimes I won't know. No, no, no. But she did know. Oh, yeah, no. So she picked him up and they both pretended like nothing happened. And she was like, where are you off to? And he was like, (laughs) can you take me over to my friend's house? And so she did. To Stevens? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. I was like, he doesn't know. A guy named Jason. And so she takes him to Jason's house. He goes and nobody's home. So he just kind of goes and hides out in Jason's barn. And he was going to just kind of wait for Jason to come home. But while he's waiting out, she, of course, is like, boop, uh, police <laughs> found Seth and he's at blah, 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 blah address. Yeah. So the police come and get him from set a pole barn, whatever the fuck a pole barn is. Basically, like a place like you would park. How you think of somebody would like park a camper under it or. Okay. Okay. Like a bigger carport. Yes. Now, some stuff it looks like from the Google, it's got it all enclosed, but it looks like mostly it's open. But everything kept being like a pole barn, a pole barn. I'm like, what the fuck is a pole barn? (laughs) Surely it was one that was enclosed, though, because he's hiding out in a open pole barn. Well, he's had a comedy of errors in his like judgment. I mean, it's not funny because he. 
annihilated his whole family and that's yeah, he's a, despicable. Yes. But I'm saying, like, he's done all the wrong things. So, I mean, he went to sleep in the middle of the woods being like, well, I guess they're not going to find me. Yeah, those search dogs that I keep hearing. Yeah. Throwing them off my scent. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like, were you a Eagle Scout? Also, all I could picture was, like, on a map when you can see, like, a dot and how he, you said he was running and it's just, like, everywhere yeah because it was like he crossed here he went through there he went through this golf course like it was like he crisscrossed through the railroad tracks and like it was like he was trying to do that yeah i mean i'm glad she picked him up only because she would then know where she dropped him off at but also if you see someone and you're like oh they killed their family don't pick him up though right well seth says that he was going over to jason's to die by suicide but i i don't know if that was true or not the police show up shortly and arrest him. Now, Stephen Wallace's charges were eventually downgraded from murder to like an accessory. There was video surveillance that showed Seth trying to buy 22 caliber bullets the night before the shooting. Oh, so it was totally planned. I, I think so. He says that he was buying them so he could go like small animal hunting, which I don't know if that's what gauge or caliber you would use. I don't know. But what I understand is he says that he couldn't buy them because he was underage, but he was 18. But there was video evidence of that. There was video evidence of him going to the gas station to drop the shell casings in. I was going to say, when he went to a gas station to drop the stuff, I'm like, no. Right. I mean, yes, do that. Yeah. Every criminal, do that. Right. No, BTK, we can't find out your information from your floppy disk. (laughs) My favorite part. So there was also surveillance that showed him, like, after it happened, going to try to buy the duct tape and all, because remember, he was going to try to make it look like a robbery. Uh-huh. And the garbage bags. Yes. And he says he didn't steal any ammunition, but he couldn't buy any. So we really don't know where he got it. Maybe his dad just had some. Like, I don't know why he would need so much. If his dad already had some, why would he need more? I don't know. Did he have something more planned? We don't know. He has an interview with police that you can find online, like the whole thing. And he tells them that he was going to go small game hunting and that he had never thought about killing his parents until that day. But we know that he had told Stephen before, like that week at school, that Mm -hmm. he wanted to kill his parents. It seems like a crime of passion, but something that you've been thinking about. Right. uh -uh. And maybe that moment you were like, I'm tired of this. And you did it. And if you were thinking about killing your dad, why'd you start with your brother? Uh Uh-huh. You know. Yes, exactly. I do not buy his whole thing. Seth ended up pleading no contest and was sentenced to five life sentences. I said that weird, but you get the point. And of course, no possibility of parole. Now, Stephen Wallace gambled and he went to trial because he was saying that, oh, I had to do this because I was fearing for my safety because he just killed his family. He could have killed me. No, you were at your house and could have been safe somewhere else calling the police, going to the police before he could get to your house. Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. He called you on the phone and said, hey, uh, I killed my family. Can you come over and help me clean up? And you're like, cool, cool. Let me come over. And then you're like, ooh, you know what? I got that church thing. Gotta return the blockbuster. You left, went and did all these things Mm -hmm. and then came back. Right. Now, had Seth went and picked him up from his girlfriend's house, he could have been like he threatened her, but he did everything before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't buy that. Well, the jury bought it and he was acquitted. What? Yep. Wow. Yep. Okay, so someone who could be completely normal after doing what he did, Mm -hmm. you're like, yeah, no, 
perfectly fine. Well, Stephen Wallace did have some more run-ins with police after all of this happened. When he was 19, he had a conviction for vandalism. When he was 22, 24, and 25, he had arrests for domestic violence. At 24, he had an obstructing police and resisting arrest. And um, when he was 27, he was sentenced to 28 months to seven and a half years for violating probation on a felony conviction that he had for receiving stolen property. So he had many, many more run-ins with the law after that. Yeah. In 2010, at this point, Seth is 30 years old. He had been in prison for a while. He and a couple other inmates overpowered a truck driver who was leaving the facility, hopped in the truck, drove it through the two fences that had the barbed wire. Of course, it gets all hung up. They make it like 10 feet or 10 yards or I don't know which one. They make it just a little bit, but obviously it gets hung up and they can't go anymore. So they all flee on foot. All the other inmates are quickly apprehended, but Seth continued to run. And in, I don't know if irony is the best word, he was shot and killed by the perimeter guard in the head. In the back of the head or just in I mean, the it head? had to have been because he was yeah, running. Yeah, he was running. Wow. I mean, you don't want to say like poetic justice because that's terrible because it's still somebody dying. But like on the other hand, like that's exactly how he killed his victims. Mm-hmm. Let's not say victims because they are victims, but his fucking family, his yes. mother, his father, his brother, his grandfather. And his soon-to-be sister-in-law. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Let's not forget her too. But it's like your fucking family and shot and killed in an escaped attempt. Because of course he did. While he was in prison, he was not a model inmate. He had a ton of run-ins with the guards with like having um, like a tattoo gun on him. He had pot in his system. He had, you know, just like, I mean, little things, but just like he was always in fucking trouble in prison. Wow. He says he regrets it and he wish he could take it back. But I mean, I I just, I don't, I don't buy it. The way that he executed his family, cleaned it up for hours, like hours and hours and hours and hours. I mean, 12, one o'clock in the afternoon, the police get there at midnight. Like we're talking a solid 12 hours of this process. And he ran all the things, which I mean, people run, but because they get scared and they don't know what to do. But I mean, there was no remorse. No, Absolutely not. He might regret it only because he got called. He got called mm-hmm. and like he didn't plan it how he thought he was going to plan it. Yeah. And he's like, oh, wow, I'm not as smart as I think I am. Mm-hmm. Like that's the only reason I would think he regretted it. Yeah. And I do not agree with the acquittal for Stephen Wallace. Like there was nothing to indicate that he he truly feared for his life in order to comply with that. Right. He called you and you came over. And according to him, he told you before you came over. Even if he hadn't told you before you came over and you came over and yeah, you did. You had to comply with him. You were fearful for your life, but you're the one that went and threw the gun away and then went to church and Blockbuster and your girlfriend's house and then let him pick you back up and you acted like nothing happened. Right. So that's the part that makes me go, "Mm, don't buy it. Right. Because once that gun was in your hand, you had the upper hand. Mm -hmm. But even take that out of it, once you left and you were in the safety of your church, even your girlfriend's house, like, say something. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, we have that a lot where we're like, it's so hard because they're a victim, but they also, like, were a perpetrator. No. For him, I am like, no, he wasn't forced to do that. Mm -hmm. He should have gotten some time. Yeah. 
even if Steph's dad was mean and not loving and did tell him, I don't love you anymore, and, you know, was really hard on him, doesn't fucking matter. No. People come through, people come up in living in the worst conditions with their parents and they don't kill them. No, 100%. You were 18. Move out. Yeah. You can do anything other than kill someone. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't understand how someone can just kill. I can't understand someone killing someone anyway, but like so systematically like that. I can't, I can't wrap my head around killing anybody, period. But your mama. Girl, I could And your dad Mm-mm. and your sibling. You're fucking, I mean, it's like every single one I'm like, yeah, but your, your mom. Yeah, but your dad. But your fucking grandpa. Right. 79 years old. Fuck off. Like fuck all the way off. Yes. Well, and again, yeah, I just feel like, I don't know. He, I don't like him. No, well, I'm glad. <laughs> we agree on this 100%. Oh, and there was a thing, there There was some stuff where, like, somehow he had gotten in touch with some girl. They were messaging, like, you know, sitting. In prison? Yeah, Seth being he. And, like, she sent a picture, and he sent a picture, and, um... I, I, I'm betting it was a catfish because he was like telling all about himself and he's like, but I want to know more about you, you know, because I don't know. I just felt like it was a catfish for some reason because he was like, oh, my God, you're so hot. <laughs> I don't know why. I just was like catfish that she, she was? was catfishing him. I mean, for what reason other than probably just the pure joy of catfishing a, an inmate, you know, the, probably just some terrible thrill that they get out of it. But. Well, if she had to pay for it, though, you pay him to do it. No. Don't, don't you have to pay for that J chat? Well, yeah, but I don't know if they were doing that or they were writing letters. I don't know how they were communicating. Oh. It may not have been. She may have just been one of those people that like to talk to inmates, and some people just do that. So maybe she was, but I'm like, catfish. Note to self. Let me write Stop. Annie. You are not allowed. <laughs> if y'all don't know that, listen to, what, episode three? Uh-huh. Well, y'all let us know what y'all think about, because we had some disagreements today. Well, only on you lumping people together. I just don't buy that the Native Americans did that. (laughs) And you're making it sound like I'm saying there are terrible people and all of them as a tribe, as a nation, as everything, they're terrible. No, just these certain people. Yes, I don't believe it. It's not in their belief system. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Not even... Okay, and you're right. He is a teacher, and he loved kids. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Y'all let us know what y'all think. Thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.